my old news writer days of knowing all these weird yeah. nebulous government entities. <laughs> I used and I used. I started doing that as a child. My grandmother used to practice with me. Really? 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 Wait, really? what? You, wait, yeah. like you had flashcards and you would learn the different like administrations of government. No, we would just do it verbally, but it started. It all started with NASA. <laughs> That's hilarious. How, what? What is? The, I mean, do you remember a lot of them? Do you remember I, like the one no. that was you thought was the weirdest as a kid? No, that that. It's <laughs> a deep memory. You just pushed it down. I have yes, I have suppressed. Those <laughs> Welcome to Talking Underwater. One water. One podcast. I am Katie Johns, Editor-in-Chief of Stormwater Solutions and Water Quality Products. I'm Bob Crossan, Editorial Director of the Endeavor Business Media Water Group. I'm Mandy Crispin, Editor-in-Chief of Waterworld. In this month's episode of Talking Underwater, we will discuss a $100,000 award from Water Research Foundation to a Stanford researcher on nutrient recovery, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration $6.7 million award for coastal resilience research, and $28 million from the U.S. Bureau of Reclamation for water reuse and desalination projects. Finally, our interview this month is with Colby Manwaring, Senior Advisor for Autodesk and former CEO of Innovise. I spoke with Colby about all things smart water, ranging from new trends like AI to how machine learning can reduce barriers to using smarter technologies. But first, I'm going to hand it over to Bob to share some news. Yeah, so the Water Research Foundation presented William Tarpe, I apologize if I'm pronouncing that wrong, William, with the 2023 Paul L. Bush Award, which provided $100,000 for research in wastewater resource recovery at Stanford University. His recent research is titled Characterizing, Categorizing, and Communicating Next-Generation Nutrient Removal Processes for Resource Efficiency and it yielded insights on five major barriers to nutrient removal and recovery. And according to the Water Research Foundation release, his and his students' work has revolutionized the understanding of wastewater resource recovery and has laid the groundwork for the future of resource-efficient nutrient management. Now, from my perspective, as someone who's covered this industry, this kind of research does feel very gravely needed right now and would be incredibly useful for many wastewater systems around the country, particularly because nutrient limits for total phosphorus and total nitrogen continue to plummet state by state. And it's putting a lot of pressure on small and mid-sized utilities in particular with trying to meet these new permitting requirements. So finding ways to recover those resources, potentially reuse them, maybe make some money from it, could help offset the costs of treatment technologies that they need to meet these new permitting requirements. So this type of research is really exciting to me, and I hope it's really exciting for all the other wastewater folks who are listening. Now, Katie, you had to, you wanted to talk about the NOAA Award for Coastal Resilience Research. According to a press release, NOAA's National Centers for Coastal Ocean Sciences fiscal year 2023 funding includes $6.7 million, which will support 18 coastal resilience research projects. Eight new and seven continuing awards are funded under NCCOS's Effects of Sea Level Rise program. Five of the eight new projects are funded under the Inflation Reduction Act, part of President Biden's Investing in America agenda. The projects will provide a range of work, including facilitating informed adaptation planning and coastal management decisions that account for the effects of sea level rise and climate change, 
evaluating the use of nature-based solutions in mitigating coastal vulnerability and risk, and allowing NOAA to help communities prepare for, adapt to, and build resilience to changing climate conditions. And with that, I will hand it over to Mandy. The funding will help prepare feasibility studies and undertake planning efforts such as preliminary project design and environmental compliance activities, the, pre the press release said. These projects currently under development will supplement existing freshwater supplies in urban and agricultural areas in the Western United States, said Deputy Commissioner David Palumbo. The 31 projects are in California, Idaho, Nevada, New Mexico, Texas, and Utah. The projects also bring a cost share contribution of 64.7 million dollars, bringing the total investment of 93.7 million. The press release notes Brown and Caldwell announced that it had assisted clients in identifying funding mechanisms and developing successful grant applications for a few of these projects. City of Boise for Recycled Water Program received $1 million in funding. Santa Clara Valley Water District for San Jose Santa Clara Purified Water Program Feasibility Study received $381,249 in funding. Don't forget the $49. <laughs> Santa Clara Valley Water District for South County Water Reuse Program Feasibility Study received $299,180 in funding. If you are interested in the details, the press release went up on waterworld.com on November 7th under the title, Reclamation Provides $28 million for 31 Water Reuse and Desalination Projects. And with that, we will go ahead and jump into the interview with Colby Manwaring, Senior Advisor for Autodesk and former CEO for Innovise. Hello, everyone. I am Katie Johns, co-host for Talking Underwater, and today I am joined by Colby Manwaring, Senior Advisor for Autodesk and former CEO for Innovise. Today, we're going to be discussing many aspects of smart water, so let's dive right in. Colby, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me. I appreciate it. You're very welcome. It's my pleasure. Yeah, so first, let's kind of lay a foundation. What trends are you seeing in smart water right now? What's going on in that, that side of the industry? Well, there's a lot of talk about um, data, uh, how much mm -hmm. data we have, um, how secure is the data, can we use the data? Um, so a lot of talk about data collection and use and security. Absolutely. And what about that? I know cybersecurity is one. Is that playing into that data security that you're mentioning? It is. Yeah. Uh, particularly in the water industry, water utilities, um, fairly sensitive about their data. Sure. And, um, while you and I might not think that it's um, you know terribly important or terribly high profile, um, it is public infrastructure. So there's mm -hmm. concern about that data. Yeah, absolutely. And and another big thing that we are hearing is the use of AI. And I know just yesterday, uh, President Biden issued an executive order on the use of AI. Can you talk about how how AI is playing into smart water? Yeah, sure. That's so that kind of goes into the data usage mm -hmm. category of discussion. So 
there is a lot of uh, data available more than ever. Um, I know IoT devices can pull that in. And it's fantastic, especially to have real-time data available for analysis and for automated decision-making. So the AI component sometimes um, you know, can help just make sense of a lot of data. Um, that's one aspect of where AI can be helpful. Another aspect is, is actually just being able to um, process and analyze this huge amount of data to solve the problems that you know are most pressing and most uh, most present. So there's of course rapid uh, development of AI mm -hmm. across all industries, and it's a you know it's a little unclear what the best and highest use of AI might be for the water industry, but it uh, but it definitely um, plays plays into our ability to quickly make decisions or recommend actions to uh, increase the performance of water infrastructure or to safeguard water infrastructure uh, and, and on and on. So AI is definitely in the water industry. Yeah. And one of the things, so obviously we're kind of on the publishing side where, you know, people are using AI to write headlines and whatnot. Um, but one of the concerns is the validity or the accuracy of some AI information. How could that affect smart water? Are there, you know, cons to AI that you're seeing come through yet? Well, so what I've uh, I've seen in the use of AI is, of course, um, if we feed appropriate data to a machine learning algorithm, it, it, of course, it can condense and it can start to learn the system that we're mm -hmm. trying to simulate and make recommendations and so on. The um, the challenge uh, often comes in with the water industries. We, we sometimes encounter things we have not seen before. Given that the water industry is tied to nature, right, inextricably tied to nature, and you know events in nature, well, we still can't actually predict most things in nature, right? How hard is the rain going to fall this afternoon? Well, we, right. <laughs> we have a pretty good idea, and frankly, AI is involved in giving us that prediction, right? Mm -hmm. But if we take that kind of uh, data and feed it into our water infrastructure, you know, machine learning algorithms, um, they learn, they predict, but we but we still have this element of like, hey, we don't have all the possible data to mm -hmm. feed to the algorithms, and therefore, they're not always going to give us an appropriate answer simply because we we you know we run across situations we haven't seen before and right. by definition machine learning cannot learn something it hasn't seen before so um that i, I wouldn't say i'm terribly concerned about ai just flat out getting it wrong from existing mm -hmm. data it's more on the side of like hey the, the data sets are not necessarily complete right uh, and available for machine learning to learn everything it needs to know. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I did want to ask about machine learning. You know, how is it? So we are a one water podcast specifically covering wastewater, drinking water and stormwater. I'm wondering if you can talk to each of those and how machine learning, how you're seeing it play into those different sectors, if you are. Well, so, yeah, I mean, machine learning is being applied um, everywhere. Mm -hmm. For example, in clean water distribution, um, Autodesk actually has a product, uh, InfoWater Pro and InfoWorks WS Pro, uh, both of which uh, really rely on a uh, 
a demand estimation for clean water, right? We're going to mm-hmm. kind of need to know how much clean water people are going to need tomorrow. And right. then you can, you know, calculate, hey, can we deliver it? Can we source it? All these things. Well, predicting what the demand will be tomorrow is, it, it's tricky, uh, yeah. difficult, right? It's been, it's, this has been going on for decades and it still is not, you know, it's not nailed down. So machine learning is being applied to demand prediction for clean water, which then allows us to drive, you know, the whole water system to meet that demand. In um, uh, wastewater, um, particularly in wastewater treatment plants, right, the the appropriate level of dosing of chemicals or of filtration and so on, again, is a hot topic, right? If you overdose Mm -hmm. your wastewater, you're wasting, well, you're wasting money, and you may be sure. introducing you know, more chemicals than we need into our treatment plants. So machine learning being applied um, to wastewater treatment to try and um, you know, monitor in real time, what is the quality of that wastewater? What's the appropriate level of treatment to get the level of um, you know, clean that we want mm-hmm. out of the treatment plant without guessing and or without overdosing or over uh, over treating the water that's a big topic in wastewater just because treatment is expensive right right relatively expensive item and then when you talk about stormwater and natural waters and flooding uh flooding is catastrophic year Mm -hmm. after year all around the world and that's the one where harking back to what i said about kind of the natural variability right do you know flooding is very directly tied to these natural events that we're not we're not able to predict it with exactness. Mm-hmm. So um, in machine learning, there is being applied to get a better grip on what's the realm of possibility here with a flooding mm-hmm. event. Like not let's not just say, well, you know, in 1870 there was this sort of an event, and so if it if it rains similar to that period, we'll probably have a similar outcome. But rather than doing that, is like, hey. Just take a look at all of the possibilities, you know, perhaps thousands of, of rainstorm possibilities. And then um, let's look at pro- possible outcomes, probable outcomes, and perhaps more importantly, let's look at uh, recommended actions to, mm-hmm. to um, I guess, protect communities against flooding. A um, machine learning is, is applied to that natural variability really well. Yeah. And you specifically in regard to stormwater, right? We hear a lot about hundred year storms and things like that that are becoming more frequent. Do you think it's going to get to a point where machine learning's predictability will improve and we'll be able to say, oh, the the storm likely will be this bad or it's going to rain this much? Like you were saying, we can't predict that. Um, but how do you see it progressing in the future? Yeah. So. Um... Well, I guess first off, you're getting a little outside of my area of expertise yeah. <laughs> using machine learning to predict weather, right? Yeah. That, there's a well, whole lots of people that do that. Yeah. Now, I personally believe that, of course, we get you know it gets a little better, a little better, a little better with our, mm-hmm. our weather uh, predictions. In terms of water infrastructure um, simulation or uh, using technology to kind of say what's ha- happening next, um, yeah, I, I think our understanding of the risk will get better as we use machine learning. Not that we necessarily can can you know predict more accurately the the runoff from a, a particular rain event. Sure. But we could better understand the envelope of risk so that we're not just focused. And this is one of the 
my pet peeves in life is we're not just focused on that hundred year storm. Mm-hmm. That is not the only storm that causes flooding. And it's right. not the only thing we should be planning around. Um, so uh, machine learning, data availability, and you know the general direction um, that technology is moving can allow us to better understand the whole envelope, 100-year storm, 50-year storm, 1,000-year storm, mm-hmm. the, the whole group, and then uh, right. take appropriate action. Yeah. And kind of shifting gears a little bit, can machine learning reduce barriers to using smart technology for certain facilities and municipalities? And, and if so, how, how so? Yes, that's a great question. The um, Frankly, the whole history of my career in water technology and water software has been aimed at making it easier and more approachable for um, you know, engineers, treatment plant operators, public officials. I mean, the, really the whole idea here is take a, a reasonably complex scientific physics-based problem mm-hmm. and simplify it so that it so that it's solvable and approachable. So <clears throat> machine learning AI is just another step in that progression where um, it, it, you know the, the goal of Autodesk is to democratize the access to mm-hmm. complex technology. Democratizing access to complex technology means that a whole range of people from you know a new graduate, a new a trainee at a wastewater treatment plant, to a public official who's not a not a technical um, expert, mm-hmm. to the engineer who perhaps is a technical expert, all of these personas can get a better understanding of um, of water, and frankly, can use technology more easily with um, with new, uh, especially with new trainees. You know, one of the great things about machine learning and AI is is that we can drive training scenarios or hypothetical scenarios Mm -hmm. really nicely to allow graduates or trainees to, you know, virtually operate a treatment plant and see how it goes or virtually operate a clean water delivery system and see how it goes. What happens when you turn that valve? What happens when we have a a pipe burst over here, right? That, that um, technology just allows um, a safe space for experimentation and learning. And um, again, that that whole um, scenario is improved as we use machine learning and AI properly. It, it just makes it more approachable, gives us a few more shortcuts. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess one of my last questions for you, because I know we've c- covered a lot, but yet we could talk about this for hours. <laughs> but are there are there any pieces of advice or final thoughts you can share with our audience on on how to better use AI machine learning or be better prepared to implement it? Well, I guess um, one of the things that I, I would like to to note is that, of course, machine learning and AI, as I said, they're just another step in mm-hmm. in kind of software technology and in data usage. Um, you know, <clears throat> this this t- discipline goes back decades. Um, technology that's been around for 10, 20 years um, it is still very powerful. And frankly, it's not even fully adopted. Mm-hmm. So when you look at something like AI, adoption or acceptance of um, you know, of the use of technology is a um, <clears throat> has been a barrier and continues to be a barrier. So 
you know, the motivation to use technology um, is a little bit um, confused in the water industry. Public mm -hmm. utilities often have the number one goal of just keeping the service going, right? Sure. Uh, that's the top item. Like clean water has to be delivered to everybody on time mm -hmm. on proper quality. And and it's very it's very scary <laughs> to do something different because right. you know if the water's out, well, every, everyone's angry. So there's a real risk aversion kind of built in to the industry. AI and machine learning, frankly, are just, it's another increment of kind of scary things mm -hmm. that might disrupt, you know, might disrupt the service delivery that has worked for 20 years or 30 years. Right. So, so, you know, look, look at the, the motivation to adopt technology. Um, we, we've got to move on from, you know, having systems that are good enough. Or saying, mm -hmm. hey, this has worked for 50 years. Why change it? Well, um, we all know that the pressure on our on, on our water resources in, is increasing. And right. that's a good motivation. And the financial impact of um, operating water utilities is increasing, right? So, so there are really good reasons to adopt and take a step forward. The, um, the aversion or the, the worry yeah, in in disrupt, disrupting service needs to be put in that perspective. The, the second item I'd like to leave you with is that there seems to be a lot of confusion over funding available mm -hmm. to implement technology solutions. The, um, you know, a great example is the IIJA in the United yeah. States that, um, you know, there's, a, there's quite a, a lot of money allocated to water infrastructure that is supposed to flow through state revolving funds. And for some reason, software systems, including AI, machine learning, digital twins, simulation, all the many things that Autodesk is involved in, mm -hmm. as well as many others, those, those are seen as luxury items or as intangible things as compared to concrete and steel. Mm -hmm. And so utilities are a little unsure. Can they use state revolving funds for technology, for software? Um, I've heard that question asked, you know, explicitly to an EPA official. Can, can we use that? Mm -hmm. And um, the so, so there's an example of uh, funding programs needing to clarify the need or the recommendation for modern technology. Um, it's no good to just throw a lot of concrete and steel at problems without optimizing the use of concrete and steel. Optimizing the use is, is where technology can come into play. So those, those two items, looking at our motivations for avoiding or adopting, and then looking at the funding mechanisms and perhaps clarifying or, or you know, seeking explicit um, recommendation for technology usage through funding programs. Those are two items that, um, well, that they, they keep me occupied constantly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it it sounds like kind of a good summarizing point for that is this these smart water innovations, this machine learning AI, like you said, all of it can can be used to optimize what people are already doing, um, which it seems is is almost a barrier thought that once people realize that maybe they will embrace that change a little bit more. That's a that's a great way to say it. It is <laughs> this a lot of the same things we've been doing for decades. 
Let's optimize it. Let's make it easier. Let's make it faster. Let's make it, um, you know, let's make the outcomes better is what we want. Sure. Well, Colby, thank you so much for your time today. You've shared a lot of great insight and, and given me a lot to think about. And I'm sure our listeners too. Um, so thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Uh, really a pleasure to speak with you today about uh, technology and water infrastructure. Uh, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much for that interview, Colby. I really appreciate it. And I learned a lot and I uh, bet our audience will too. So thanks again. Before we wrap up, I'm going to hand it over to Bob for some housekeeping. Yes. So as always, please subscribe to the Wastewater Digest YouTube channel by visiting youtube.com slash at symbol Wastewater Digest. We are continuing to post our WefTech interviews each week. And starting after Thanksgiving, that first Thursday after Thanksgiving, we will be posting interviews with each of our 2023 WWD Top Project winners, and you will not want to miss those interviews. For Waterworld, if you enjoy the topic, Smart Water, the November-December issue will be out soon. You can subscribe to the print version now by clicking subscribe in the top nav on waterworld.com. And the digital issue is also available online via waterworld.com coming up. Just go to magazines in the top nav uh, bar. And for Stormwater Solutions, our December webinar is now open for registration. We are teaming up with SWEMA to bring you a webinar on BMPs and microplastics. So I hope you'll join us for free on December 12th. You can register at bit.ly slash SWSDECweb. And with that, don't forget to like, subscribe, share on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and Spotify. You can also reach us at talkingunderwater at endeavorb2b.com to share your thoughts. And don't forget to follow us on X at TUW Podcast. Thanks so much for listening.